Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So the old man Simeon spoke to Mary, the mother of Jesus, about her son Jesus when he was only 40 days old. Luke 2 records the presentation of our Lord when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to present him before God, and there they meet this man named Simeon, who has been told by the Holy Spirit that he won't die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. And the Holy Spirit leads him to see Jesus and to know that Jesus is the Lord's Messiah. Simeon takes that boy in his arms and sings a hymn of praise to God. He says of Jesus, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. When Simeon prays that hymn, we can now anticipate to see Jesus be the one through whom God enacts his salvation. But then after that, he speaks this prophetic word of warning to Mary. Jesus will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. Jesus will be a sign that is opposed. And so we should also expect that Jesus' ministry isn't going to be smooth sailing, an easy ride. There's going to be opposition. And so there is. Strangely enough, it's because Jesus does the will of his Father, because he brings about salvation, that many, even in Israel, oppose him and reject him. To use a very modern American way of speaking, we're going to find out that a lot of people don't really like Jesus all that much because of what he does and because of what he says. And we shouldn't be surprised. The Pharisees as a group are those who oppose him because he associates with sinners and tax collectors and because he works out acts of salvation upon the Sabbath day. Three times Luke tells us that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Three times they don't like it very much. The people of Nazareth didn't like Jesus very much. He spoke very confrontational words to them in their Sabbath, and they tried to throw him off the cliff. In today's text, we find that Herod Antipas doesn't like Jesus very much. He wants to kill him. Whether Herod is still operating under the delusion that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead at this point, I don't know. But it's a good chance that what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying threatens Herod. Maybe he's found that the coming one is even more dangerous than the forerunner. And in today's text, we get a foreshadowing that Jerusalem, too, will not like Jesus very much. They're going to reject him. They, too, are going to try to kill him. And from today's text, we get a foreshadowing that where Herod failed, 
Jerusalem is going to succeed, and they will kill Jesus because of what he does and because of what he says. Perhaps what's most surprising about this text is that deep love that Jesus feels for the holy city, for Jerusalem and its people. Jesus does what I, as an American male raised on John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, would never do. He likens himself to a mother hen. As a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings to protect them from the elements, so Jesus would gather Jerusalem to himself. But they would not. And there are consequences for that, as Simeon foretold, and as Jesus makes clear in today's lesson. Jesus is a sign that will be opposed to reveal the thoughts of many hearts, and so we see what is in the hearts of the people of Nazareth and Herod Antipas and Jerusalem. Nevertheless, as today's text tells us, on the third day, Jesus will be raised, and so all of that opposition will come to nothing. In the name of Jesus, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to Israel and to all the nations of the earth. And so that word has come to us today. We might say that Simeon's prophecy is still in effect. Jesus remains the sign that is opposed. He continues to be the cause for the fall and rise of many, well, many around us today. So we shouldn't be surprised, for instance, when a world-famous director makes a movie trying to prove that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. We should be concerned. We should be prepared to respond, but we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when an award-winning scientist writes a book promoting his religious atheism, where the true object is Christianity that he opposes. We shouldn't be surprised by the blasphemy challenge that many of you may have heard about, where young people are being challenged to deny God and to deny Jesus, again, aimed at Christianity. We should be concerned, but not surprised. Simeon told us this would happen way back then. But perhaps what I have found most challenging is dealing not with those people who are very open in their denial of Jesus— but dealing with those many others who deny Jesus while thinking they don't really deny Jesus. These are the people who would say that they're actually for Jesus. But when you hear about their Jesus, it doesn't look anything like the Jesus of the Gospel of Luke or the other three Gospels or the epistles of Paul. It's a different Jesus, what I like to call the American Jesus. I can remember about three years ago, when this text was read in my church in Crescent City, that after the service, there was a woman who was a sometimes visitor who confronted me angrily because she did not like Jesus as he was portrayed in Luke 13. This woman was a self-identified seeker. Uh, She would never tie herself down to any one religion or any one church uh, because that would be mean to all the other churches to identify with just one. But she liked Christianity, she said, because she really liked Jesus a lot. But she didn't like Jesus as portrayed here, because Jesus here, she said, was very rude. You know, the Pharisees warned him, and he didn't say thank you to them. 
They're reaching out. He should have, I mean, he had problems with them, but here they're reaching out. This was his opportunity to make the most of that. And instead he gives this flippant response, she said. Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, and I work cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. He's all, what is that? And then she said, and he resorts to name-calling, calling Herod a fox, sinking down to Herod's level. That's not a very good example. And of course, most troubling was that he seems to say that Jerusalem will be forsaken. And that troubled her the most because her God, her Jesus, was a God and a Jesus of unconditional love who would never, in the end, judge anyone. Such a God could never demand repentance and demand it now, could never demand faith and demand it now, could never call for worship and call for obedience. Her eschatology had no final judgment, no hell, just all of us continuing our spiritual existence as we sort of generally grow up into whatever. And of course, God the whole time patiently waiting for us to turn whenever we decide it's time to turn. She said, I don't think Luke gets Jesus at all. That was kind of funny, I thought, because she was so sure that her view of Jesus was better than that portrayed in the Bible and in the creeds. She didn't really reject Jesus, she thought, because she was holding on to her view of Jesus. And perhaps you're aware of this picture of Jesus, too. It's out there. And maybe to some degree in here, too, you know, Jesus as the ultimate nice guy, tolerant, non-judgmental, the ultimate people's person who would go out of his way for everybody. Jesus who is open and loving and accepting and affirming of everybody, whether they come to him or whether they don't. This picture of Jesus is out there. People who have this picture will come to your church and they will hear Luke 13 read. And they may be offended by this portrayal of a Jesus who would call Herod a fox and who would predict that Jerusalem and her temple will be forsaken. Nevertheless, this Jesus of the Gospel of Luke is the Lord's Messiah, the Son of God, whom God sent to bring about his salvation upon earth. Jesus didn't have to thank the Pharisees. Their promise is pointless because Herod's threats are empty. Herod can't do anything to Jesus, neither can the people of Nazareth. Because his appointment with death is in Jerusalem. He fulfills the will of his father, faithfully going to Jerusalem to execute that will by being executed upon a cross. And so let Herod rage. Let Herod imagine a vain thing. He who sits in the heaven laughs. And in Luke 13, so does his son upon earth. In this season of Lent, we see our Lord, God's Son, be a faithful Son, faithful unto death, even death on a cross. In this time of Easter, we see the Father faithful to his Son, raising him up and ascending him to his right hand. As we come to Pentecost, we see that God is faithful to Israel because repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in the name of his son, Jesus. And in this we see that God is most gracious and merciful to us. For this same gospel, this same apostolic word, has been proclaimed to you.
The God of the Bible and his Messiah, Jesus Christ, may often say things that you don't like. And in response, you're called to repentance and faith. Yet it's this God who's been merciful to you, this Jesus who has died for you, has been raised for you, so that he might lift you up and make you his own. Yes, we see that many go down in connection with Jesus. Antipas goes down, Jerusalem goes down. But when Jesus is preached for the first time, 30 souls will be convicted. 3,000 souls will be convicted. convicted. 3,000 baptized. 3,000 will receive the Spirit. 3,000 will have their sins forgiven. 3,000 will be raised up. And so this word comes to you today. In Jesus Christ... God has given you his spirit in baptism. In Jesus, God has forgiven your sins. In Jesus, God has raised you up to be his people, confessing him in this time and place, worshiping him. Jesus calls you to himself in his love. He would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. And so you have been brought, so you have been lifted up. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so, we give our thanks and our praise to our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and always. Amen.